Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. If you did not bring a Bible with you, there's a, a black hardbound book in the seat in front of where you're sitting. That's a Bible. You're welcome to use that. We'll be on page 980. Welcome from home. If you're joining us from there or in our overflow area, we're so glad you're with us. We are continuing our series this morning through the book of Philippians, a study entitled To Live as Christ. And I pray you've been challenged over these past few weeks. I pray you've been encouraged. Uh, I pray that as you read through the book of Philippians, hopefully you're doing that once a week. Uh, Maybe even some of you are doing it a little more often. I pray the Lord speaks to you. It's always amazing to me when I read through Scripture how the Lord encourages me, how the Lord challenges me. And I can read through a passage of Scripture that I've read through a hundred times before, but all of a sudden, through the power of the Spirit, God just reveals something different to me that really speaks to me. And I pray as you read through and continue to read through the book of Philippians, the Lord does that for you. Last week, we really kind of focused in on one verse and kind of built our a sermon around this one verse in Philippians 1.21. It's foundational for Paul. In that chapter, it's foundational through the book of Philippians. It's foundational for the entire New Testament. It's this verse, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I posed a question for you last week. What are you living for? Are you living for your job? Are you living for retirement? Uh, Are you living for a sporting event? Are you living for entertainment or pleasure? Uh, What exactly are you living for? Paul says, listen, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, there was nothing else more important. Nothing else more important than his walk with Christ. And so we were challenged with that text last week. We were challenged with that truth last week. And we're going to build on on that this week. Paul's going to kind of give us some specifics. He's given us the foundation of Christ. He's given us the understanding that we should build our lives on that truth. And this morning, he's going to begin to put some kind of some meat on the bones, so to speak. He's going to give us some specifics about what it looks like to live for Christ. So we're going to pick up in verse 21, read some of the verses we studied last week, and then when we get to verse 27, we'll begin to really look at it this morning uh, for our sermon. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 21, we have it on the screen as well. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now verse 27. Only, excuse me, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, I want to back up for a second, and I want you to look at verse 27, because 27 is going to really form the basis for us this morning, kind of the jumping off point for us to understand exactly what Paul's getting at in these verses. Verse 27 says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Remember, for, for Paul, Christ is foundational. Right, there's nothing else more important. There's nothing else more significant. There's nothing else above the list for Paul other than Christ. And so Paul encourages and challenges the church at Philippi. Listen, you need to live your life in such a way that you're worthy of the gospel of Christ. So the question we ask this morning is how do we live a life worthy of the gospel? And I love Paul. I love studying Paul. I love teaching through Paul because he's very logical in his thoughts, and oftentimes he'll kind of ask questions, and then he'll answer those questions for us as well. So we're going to answer the question this morning based on verse 27, how are we to live a life worthy of the gospel? Here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. Number one, in order to live a life worthy of the gospel, we must, number one, stand firm. As followers of Christ, we need to stand firm. Now, that means we're not to be afraid, we're not to be frightened, we're to be bold, we're to be courageous, right? Paul says, listen, our hope is found in Christ. Now, for just a moment, think about Jesus. I think about all that Jesus has done. Think about all that Jesus has given, the sacrifice. Think about what Jesus offers you in salvation, life eternally, uh, life with him in heaven. Think about all the, the glorious things that Christ has done for us, given to us. Think about his power. Think about all that he's done and sacrificed. When we think about that foundation, it allows us to be bold, doesn't it? It allows us to be courageous. It allows us not to be frightened. So Paul kind of uses that idea of that firm foundation in Christ and our boldness, and he calls us in verse 20 very simply to stand firm. Now, when I read that text, I, I can't help but thinking about uh, maybe one of my favorite places I've ever been. I've had the opportunity to, to travel a lot of places and see a lot of neat things. But one of my favorite places is Washington, D.C. And one of my favorite places in Washington is Arlington National Cemetery. And in Arlington, this is probably my favorite place. How many of you know what this picture is of? Just out of curiosity. How many of you have been here? Okay, this is Arlington National Cemetery. This is the tomb of the unknown soldier. And this is a location where you can see the three people standing here in the picture. Uh, this tomb is guarded 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And so you can go up there at any point. Of course, the cemetery is only open during certain hours. But you can go at any point and see a guard walking. That little black line there is the path they walk. In the summer, I think they're on guard for 30 minutes and then they switch. In the winter, when it's a little cooler, it's about an hour. But there's a, a, a ceremony a kind of pomp and circumstance. They come out and they say certain things and there's a certain movement and cadence and they change the guard every 30 minutes. These people are resolved 
to stand firm. Right? There, there are great stories in the past of uh, terrible weather conditions, rain, monsoon, snow, even some tropical storms that have come through. And over the years, these guards have asked to be allowed to stand their position, to continue to guard this. So even when nobody's looking, that's what's so cool to me. And I, I remember one time I was on a tour, and the tour guide was at night, showed us way up in the kind of the back of Arlington, and there was a single light. You could see it way up on the hill. He said, that's the tomb of the unknown. The soldiers are guarding that tomb, whether somebody's there to watch them or not. I thought, man, these folks understand what it means to stand guard, to stand firm on the convictions of what they're doing. They believe in what they're doing. They believe in what they're uh, trying to accomplish. And so they have given their time and their effort and their lives in order to do it. I think about our walk with Christ and I wonder, how firm are we standing on the gospel of Christ? How resolved are we to stand to do the things we're supposed to do, to live the way we're supposed to live, whether people are watching us or not? Paul says you need to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And one of the ways you do that is by standing firm on your faith. One writer said it like this, To stand firm was not easy in the hostile environment that Paul describes. He speaks in the same sentence of opposition, suffering, and struggle. We'll get there in just a few minutes in our text. The Christians in Philippi needed to persevere in their commitment to Christ when adversaries attacked them for their faith in Christ. Now, we think about the first century and we think about persecution and the struggles and the difficulties that the Christians in the first century faced. And we fast forward about 2,000 years now and we see Christianity in, in, in large parts of the world facing very similar persecution. Now, we're kind of isolated here in Western Christianity, but Christianity in general across the world is a difficult thing. And we're beginning to see that more and more here in America. We see Christianity a little more set to the side, a little more marginalized. We're kind of made fun of. We're, we're the kooky people who actually believe this is true, right? We're the crazy people that really want to base our lives and our decisions on what God's Word said. And Paul says, listen, as, we're, uh, uh, as we find ourselves in oppression or in struggle or in persecution or opposition or whatever that looks like to be a believer, we need to be reminded of the call in Philippians to live our lives worthy by standing firm. Now, easy to say, difficult to do, right? It's very easy for us to stand here and go, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. We need to be firm in our faith, stand firm in our belief. A lot of us probably in this very moment want to do that, Uh, We feel strongly about doing that, but we get out into the world sometimes in the heat of the battle, and sometimes we're not as firm as we want to be. So we say, listen, I want to be firm. I want to do the right thing. I'm just not quite sure how to do it. Well, look at verse 27 again. Pull 27 up because Paul's going to give us an understanding here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, right? That's our calling. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm, how? In one spirit, right? There's a clue there. Paul says, listen, you need to stand firm, but you don't do it in your own strength. You don't do it in your own ability. You do it through the spirit of the Lord in one spirit. I'm reminded of the passage of Scripture in 1.8 
where Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and he's got his followers surrounding him, and he's talking about what's about to happen to them. Remember, these were a scared little group of believers. They didn't quite know what the future held. They weren't quite certain what they were supposed to be doing. And Jesus says to them in Acts 1-8, you will receive power. He's talking to his followers. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right, through the power of the Spirit, this kind of fledgling, small group of believers that were scared to death literally became a group that shared the gospel of Christ with the entire world. Right, it's amazing what the power of the Spirit will do. You need to understand, the, the, the Spirit is really the engine that drives the church. And we don't have the power of the Spirit. We're not able to do the things Christ calls us to do. Listen, without the power of the Spirit, we're just a social club. You understand? Like if we're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives as individuals and as a body together, if we're not relying on that power, we're just kind of hanging out. That's all we're doing. We're, we're really useless for what Christ has called us to do. But what we see is when we engage the power of the Spirit... When we stand firm in one spirit, God gives us the ability to accomplish great things. Right? So we're, we're living out our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're doing that by standing firm even against attack. And we're able to stand firm because we're relying on the power of the spirit. See what Paul's doing here? Now let's continue. Look at verse 27 again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ... So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Here's the next clue. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here's the second truth this morning. To live a life worthy of the gospel, we must, number two, be united. Right? The enemy seeks to divide us and conquer us. Paul challenges us with unity. He says, have one mind. These are the same thoughts. Now, I want you to notice what Paul does here as we start thinking about this idea of standing firm through the power of the Spirit. As we start thinking about this idea of having one mind in, in unity, even in difficult times, I want you to notice some of the things that Paul says in other parts of Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but I want you to listen. Here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, right? Paul's always thinking about Christ. Paul's always thinking about how to live for Christ. Paul's always thinking about having a foundation in Christ. And so he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In 2 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. So Paul talks about soldiers and fighting and athletes and racing and farmers and hard work. Why would Paul talk about competition and fighting and battles. Here's why. Because Paul wants us to understand as we live for Christ, as we stay firm, as we try to live in unity, we are in an absolute battle with the enemy. He's fighting for our souls. 
Now look, one of the biggest failures that Christians have in the modern world is they fail to understand that we're in a battle. Like if you don't understand that the enemy is going to do everything he can to seek, kill, and destroy you, if you don't understand that, you've probably already lost. Right? If you don't understand that the, the enemy is waging a war against you as a Christian, against the leadership of this church, against the missionaries that we support, against your family, against your walk with Christ, against your integrity, against your purity, against your thought life. If you don't think the enemy is waging a war, you've already lost. The first thing believers ought to be doing in this process is realizing we're in a battle, right? That's why Paul talks about soldiers and fighting and athletes and competing and farmers working hard together, right? The enemy is going to do everything he can to destroy us. And so what we do, Paul says, is we come together, we work together, we stand together as a church unified. Now here's the problem, right? When we're in a fight with the enemy, it's not going to be easy. Now, Paul gets to this. I want you to look at verse 29. I want you to think I'm just making this up. Pull verse 29 up, and let's see what Paul says. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also have everything you've ever asked for in life. Uh, there, there is a movement. You probably already know this. There, are, there is a movement called the prosperity gospel. The name it, claim it. And so uh, I'm not going to get deep into the weeds here, but when you read about Christianity around the world, unfortunately, a lot of times that's what's happened. Like we, we go into sub-Saharan Africa and we go out into the bush and this prosperity gospel, this name it, claim it, has kind of taken over, right? And it's very easy to sell that to people that are in greatly impoverished. Very easy to sell that. And if you'll just trust Christ and believe in him, he'll give you anything you've ever hoped for or imagined. That sounds great. The problem is it's not what the scripture teaches. In fact, what Paul says is, listen, you should be willing to not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. Paul says, listen, if you're serious about your faith, you need to be prepared to suffer for the sake of of Christ, right? Now we live, I said this earlier, we live in kind of a bubble of Western Christianity, right? For us, by and large, Christianity is pretty easy. Listen, again, I don't mean to kind of beat a dead horse here, but I think that's changing. I, th I think the time will come in our lifetimes where it's not easy to be a believer. I mean, we kind of live in a world where it's easy for the most part for us. The worst thing that happens to us is the air conditioning goes off in the sanctuary, right? And gets hot. That's the worst thing that happens to us. That's our struggle. That's the cross we have to bear, right? Not really, but that's how we think sometimes. So I think it's good sometimes for us as Western Christians to be reminded of what happens kind of outside the realm of where we live. And one of the best examples I know of is Richard Wormbrand. Some of you have heard his name before. He's a Romanian pastor. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. He lived in Romania after the Second World War. The Nazis had been kicked out. Kind of right in on their, their heels came the Russians, the Soviets with communism and kind of took over. And if you know the story, what began to happen is the communists started telling these local pastors, stop preaching the gospel. So they came to, to Pastor Richard Wormbrand and they threatened him. They told him he needed to stop. He was eventually kidnapped by the secret police. Now listen, he spent 14 years in prison. 
Not because he murdered somebody, not because he sold drugs, not because he beat somebody. He spent 14 years in prison simply for sharing the gospel. Now, if you think for just a second that maybe when he got into prison, he learned his lesson and was quiet for the remainder of time while he was there, listen to what he says in his book, Tortured for Christ. This is his words. It was strictly forbidden to preach to others in prison. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. Listen. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. Everyone was happy. Incredible. This man chose for the sake of the gospel to stand firm, to be united with his other brothers. He chose when he didn't have to, to suffer right there in verse 29 for the sake of Christ. He chose to preach the gospel, which we're going to see here in just a minute. He chose to expand the gospel, even though it cost him severely. It almost cost him his life. Now, this is an extreme example, but we need to be reminded this wasn't that long ago. This wasn't a fairy tale novel. This wasn't some movie somebody made just for fun. This actually happened. These are real events. And as followers of Christ, we need to understand sometimes we're called to suffer for the sake of Christ. You know, I've had the opportunity to go to India a lot of times, and, and some of you have gone, and, and some of you will go back. And, and we were hoping and praying to be able to get back over there. Late summer was probably a little ambitious, but maybe in the fall, certainly by the end of the year. But you're probably familiar with the COVID numbers right now, kind of how those numbers have expanded and, and how dangerous it's gotten over there. We've got partners that you have met. Uh, you've seen them sometimes speak here. I'm going to read you an email I got this week from one of our partners. I've been emailing back and forth with him. How are things going? How can we pray for you? What do we need to do to support you? Here's what he said. Hey, Adam. Thanks for getting in touch. It's really a bad situation. Many people are dying. Around 20 people have died already in a nearby village. Everyone I've talked to in the last couple of days knows people who have died in the last week. They're, they're just, just imagine India, uh, about four times the population of the United States, about a fourth the size of the United States. Population is incredible. People live very close to one another. They don't have access to medical treatment like we do. So the numbers have spiked. Things are bad. This next sentence, you listen to what he says. Now, just for a second, just, just pause for a second. Put yourself in his place. I'm going to put myself in his place. Family, children, I'm thinking, how do I get out of here? What's the first flight I can get? I want to get back to the States. Ride it out. Right? I'll pray for them. I'm going to send them money, support. I'll do anything I can to help them, but I'm going to get out in order to be safe. Here's the next line. We are glad we can be here to help. We're using money from Rosemont to help whoever we can, mostly pastors and their families with immediate medical need and food. We're so grateful for your prayers and support. Please pray for India and for us to have peace and health. 
Sometimes we suffer for Christ. Sometimes we willingly suffer for Christ. We stand firm. We're unified. We suffer for Jesus. Now I want you to notice how Paul ends this because there's a point here. Right? It's not just suffering for suffering's sake. It's not just standing firm, just simply to stand firm. Look again at what he says in verse 27. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That's our calling. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are here it is standing firm in one spirit, unified with one mind. Here it is striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here's truth number three, right? To live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, we must strive for the gospel, right? Paul says we need to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Just to be very clear here, what is the gospel? The gospel in Greek means good news. That's literally how it's translated. It's the good news. Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia says this about the gospel. The central truth of the gospel is that God has provided a way of salvation for men through the gift of his son to the world. He suffered as a sacrifice for sin, overcame death, and now offers a share in his triumph to all who will accept it. The gospel is good news because it's a gift of God, not something that must be earned by penance or by self-improvement. We're, we're all familiar with John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, the gospel is Jesus Christ. Paul says we need to believe. Paul says, listen, we need to understand that there is sin in this world. We've all sinned. That's what the scripture says, myself included. Salvation is very simply when we turn from that sin. Listen, I'm, I'm kind of sick of that life. I'm sick and tired of that sin. I'm going to repent of that sin. I want forgiveness of that sin. Lord, I'm going to turn instead to Jesus. I'm going to ask him to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to repent. I'm going to embrace him. I'm going to live and serve him as my Lord and Savior. That's what salvation is. Paul says we need to believe this, but I want you to notice what he says in verse 27. Pull it up because there's another step here I don't want you to miss. Too many believers miss this, right? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Then watch, striving, working, laboring side by side for the faith of the gospel, right? We need to believe and accept, but then we need to work together striving, laboring to make sure the gospel is known to everybody else that doesn't know. But there's a great command here. We are called to love the Lord and to follow the Lord and to serve the Lord and repent and accept Christ in salvation. We're also called to strive and work and fight to make sure other people know. How hard are you striving for the sake of the gospel? That's a good question to ask yourself. How often are you sharing your faith? How are you demonstrating in the world that you're living in Christ? Here's what one writer said. It's going to challenge you, I hope. He said, do we love to see the glory of Christ exalted when the gospel is believed? Now, get ready with your toes here, guys, especially. Or are we more interested in whether the braves win the pennant? Does this relatively minor and insignificant sporting event make us want to wave a banner 
more and more athletic vigor than the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the very image of the omnipotent God? What really matters to us? What, what are we really striving for? Christ calls us to boldness. He calls us to courage. He calls us to stand firm. He calls us to be united. He calls us to accept him as his Lord and Savior. And then he calls us to strive for the sake of the kingdom. Will you give your life to Christ? Will you suffer for him? Will you do everything he's called you to do? When we do those things, Christ receives the honor and Christ receives the glory. Let me pray. Lord, you are a great and glorious God, and we love you and we serve you and we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you for this challenge that Paul has given us in Philippians to stand firm, Lord, to be united, to strive together for the sake of the gospel. Father, let this truth just resonate in our hearts. Father, through the power of the Spirit, just move us to action. Move us to trust you more, to love you more, to serve you more, Father. Help us to do great things through the power of the Spirit. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.